And we're at a moment where sort of all all contradictions are heightened, right? Byproduct of the crisis of contemporary capitalism. This week in class politics. Classic fucking boomer. Old new left. Maintaining the relations of neoliberalism. No! Capital. No! Capital. No! Capital. No! 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 Ideas and international, but we're from cameras. You're listening to Dole Capital, a show that discusses developments in class struggle and left politics from the mean streets of Chapman, ACT, to Zurich and beyond. We're back this month to ask the question, did Australia just shift to the left? Our federal election results are still being counted, but it's very clear that the Australian Labor Party will form government with the required 76 seats in its House of Representatives. My name's Ben. On the show, you'll be hearing Jacob and I catch up with our special guest, collaborator, campaign guru and dear comrade, Matthew Byrne who have managed to coerce into talking about one of his least favourite topics, elections. And welcome to the show, Matt. So welcome back. Yeah. Thanks, mate. It's nice to be here. What a a time to come back. Uh, And it's very – look, we really appreciate you coming to talk to us because I know it was something you just didn't want to do. (laughs) Oh, we got to see you in Australia Uh, as well. We did get to see you recently. Unfortunately, we couldn't um, couldn't make the timing work to get an in-person recording, so we're back on Zoom. So if our listeners are wondering why the audio, audio sounds a bit off, um, again, um, that's why. But um, what can we do? He's a world away. And what's the best way that they can help improve your audio, guys? Oh, well, I'm well, so glad you asked. Fancy I'm so glad you asked, Matt. Ben, tell them about hey. how we can improve the audio. We are on Patreon. Yes, we do have a Patreon for this show. This show would not be possible without our patrons and supporters. A big shout out to our comrades for our their financial solidarity, and particularly to um, our supporters who are in labour subbranches around. Oh, for the ACT, I'd really love to do a shout out to some interstate people too. So, why not take that leap and become a financial supporter? You can do so by donating to us via Patreon at www.patreon, which is p a t r e o n dot c o m forward slash doll capital. That's d o h k a p i t a l. So patreon.com forward slash dog capital the other way you can get behind us for free is you can like this show you can share the show you can subscribe we are on twitter and facebook at dog capital why not leave us a review on your preferred podcast application we'd love to hear from you and yeah keep us going and a big hello to um all the many people who just recently started liking us on twitter so that was nice yeah yeah nice to have some new new followers there all right so um look uh, we're, I think, operating on the assumption that our audience knows um, what happened in the election, so we won't recapitulate the entire thing. Um, but um, yes, the Liberals have copped an absolute drubbing. Um, we're looking at a probably very narrow um, Labor majority in the House um, and uh, a big increase in inter- independent representation, um, etc. So, uh, our first question. Um, in the conversation a couple of days ago, the uh, historian and my former teacher at the ANU, Frank Bongiorno, took up this this big question, has Australia moved to the left? He writes, Climate change and energy policy, more than any other issue, now defines what it is to be conservative and progressive in Australia. This is the handiwork of a succession of powerful conservative politicians who saw political advantage in framing and enjoying their party's relationship with the uh, fossil fuel industry. Tony Abbott, Morrison and Barnaby Joyce have been among the most influential. They may now behold their achievement. So, Matt, I'll put this to you first. Um, does this election result show that the Australian polity has moved to the left, um, not just in its voting behaviour, but in its heart of hearts, or 
Now, what do you make of this kind of claim? Well, certainly I think it's, it's a rejection of, of government that is cynical, uh, opportunistic um, and short-term. I think if, if, if there's one thing we can, we can say that is true is that people who voted for a government or, or a parliament that um, reflects their aspirations um, and reflects the, their, their want for a government that will govern with integrity, that responds to the needs of the people, um, and has their eyes set on trying to deal with the great challenges that uh, the country and the world face. Um, so I think that's 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 certainly the signal that that I think is being sent um, to to Australia's political establishment through the election um, on Saturday. Now, in terms of has it moved to the left, I think you know if you take a, a classical Marxist uh, you know class analogy, then um, probably not. You know, if you look at the demographics of of who voted. Um, you know, and, and where the shifts occurred, a lot of them happening in, in large, uh, largely in a, a metropolitan uh, wealthy electorates. Um, but if you look at politics, as many Australian political scientists do in terms of a moral or ethical kind of frame, image to define left and right as well as a material one, then yeah, certainly um, there's been a shift to, to a more liberal, um, using the small L definition of the term, more ethical um, more social conscious um, or social justice, um, I think, uh, frame of, of mind. Um, so I think in that respect, certainly there, there's been a move towards the progressive side of politics. Yeah, I think Matt's got a point there. We've got a shift shift to liberal um, uh, going on over a number of key issues. I, I guess it's that, that basic thing, that climate change policy, uh, respect for, for women in the workplace and uh, those things have been two issues that have been building up over a very long period of time. Uh, there was those reports done uh, that the government sat on in terms of respect for women in industries and workplaces. I can't remember the name of it. Matt, you might remember. but respect that was, of work and the Jenkins Review. Jenkins Review, that's right. And that's um, that's been bobbling away for a long time. And it's, that has enjoyed support across class, if you like, in Australia. Same with um, climate change as well. It's something it's not the just the domain of the, of the left to talk about radical change in the climate then needing to be done. I, I guess the only thing I'd push back a little bit was that the Greens did a very good job uh, with probably what is would be their best result they've ever had in federal politics. Mm. Uh, they're looking set to probably having two seats in the lower house. Uh, Australia's um, electoral system makes it very difficult to secure lower house seats, so it's a bit of a big breakthrough for them. Uh, and again, I think it looks like they will have their biggest um, outing in the in the Senate, and in a position to potentially have the balance of power uh, with twelve senators in our upper house of the Senate. Um, the main reason I'm sort of like there is that that there is a left element there is that they did run very strongly and very hard on a very clear campaign almost like it was like a classic labor campaign from a long time ago uh talking about um taxing the billionaires talking those that they can actually afford it uh the throwaway lines like you know um make palmer pay for your pay for your teeth um clive palmer the rich billionaires you know again tried to buy election results spending millions and, and went nowhere but it, that was that was well and truly had the tanks parked parked on the law there. That's that's good. That was I think that was good because it helped the conversation going on. But then then also like, I think the thing the Greens weren't just just they were boxing left, but they were, they were hitting with a left punch and also going the right one. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of 
look, they did some very good stuff up in Brisbane, and we know anecdotally that I think there's people I've spoken to for years now that they've been doing very good local grassroots campaigns over issues in particular areas of of Brisbane that people are, are concerned about their quality of life, if you like. Um, which you know, look, some people will write it off as this is here you go, this is um you know rich middle class people blah 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 having a win but, but what, i mean the reality is it's like well um what's wrong with people in a community organizing around issues that they're concerned about and that's been borne out that's probably borne out with some of their results there so that deep organizing is um been pretty interesting and that's been borne out by local um uh, results and local council they've been building up for a number of years in brisbane it hasn't come out of nowhere it's not a shock um uh, it's it's built on being built on hard work um, how labor has been going up there we I, I don't really know but we can only speculate so i'm going as a bit of a like a left right sort of jab um the shift there some things are obviously going to be very good um and to put it in perspective though like the labor vote which normally you know we'd so go okay well what was the swing to labor the only standout really is western australia close to a 10 percent swing in the in the um lower house i've got um, matt might know i mean i know some very talented union officials and and uh, activists out in WA, but I never really quite understood what's been going on in WA other than people being really angry uh, with the federal government over its um, treatment of WA, including um, not um, intervening to stop people like Clive Palmer from trying to sue the state from stopping him from visiting the, the place during the peak COVID. Um, other highlights for the ACT, um, look, a considerable swing to um, our lower house um uh, representatives in, in Labor, but also interesting enough that uh, the Greens um, became the the two party preferred party in the seat of Canberra, which is um, very interesting and holds um, interesting ramifications for ACT elections and beyond. So it's it's not a I don't know look yeah it's not a simple left right thing. There are elements, I think, and, and uh, I think there are a lot of things there that Labor really needs, to, federal Labor, and then the state branches really need to um, have a good hard look at um, how they've been going and engaging memberships and, and how how um, transformative were they in their agenda when you've got New South Wales and Victoria barely went anywhere in terms of their, their primary vote swing. Yeah, I, look, I think uh, on, on Frank's piece, I thought it was, it was interesting. I, I'd be fascinated to know, um, I think it'd almost be time for Judith Brett to update her, uh, her classic book about liberals and the moral middle class, um, to reflect the change that's gone on in the, uh, in the, in the Liberal Party and, and, um, in a city, um, traditional liberal voters. Um, I saw a Labour Party member from New South Wales, uh, post something about, uh, if you take a ferry ride basically from, from, um, one end of the harbour to the other, basically, I'm kind of living here that it's all there's not a liberal seat uh, represented anymore, uh, which is just astounding. You know, like these are the crown jewels of the Liberal Party um, in, in a in a Melbourne, in a Sydney, um, and then to in a, in a Adelaide, and also you know in a Perth, um, in a in a Brisbane uh, to some extent. Um, it's all gone. It's all gone. There's one almost maybe Aston. Um, you know, and, and maybe Brisbane if they hang on, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, is it's 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 all turned um, red, green, and teal. So uh, it's it's a, it's a it's a massive shift. Um, the, the Liberal Party this is a once in a generation um, shift for them. Um, we haven't seen these kinds of shift on the conservative side of politics um, for a very long time. Some would argue that that it's it's um, comparable to when Don Chip um, split. 
um, to form the Democrats in, you know, in the 1970s, but I think it's bigger than that. Mm. Um, and I think that there is now a, a cohort of voters um, who have been finally given an option to vote against um, the party that they've traditionally put their vote in. Um, and they've gone that way in, in droves. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's a massive challenge for the Liberal Party to come back to this in any way, shape, or form that could get them to win a majority government. And uh, I guess uh, it seems like the Libs are um, also kind of going to have this um, really difficult kind of reckoning with this fact and the uh, slight ambiguity about whether we're talking about, um, you know, just a collapse in a formal voting base or if it's really a meaningful, massive shift in the um, the politics of, um, you know, the people that live in their heartland. Um, that's playing out now, I suppose. So we're looking at very likely um, Peter Dutton. I think it's all but, um, all but um, a fait accompli that he'll be the, um, the next Liberal leader, at least for, you know, a period of, of reconstruction. Um, and uh, you've also got, uh, I think it was, yeah, Scott Morrison today, um, gave this quite interesting quote where he said something like, um, well, you know, sometimes people just want to change the curtains and, you know, the Australian people have changed the curtains, which I, I think really belied a total, I mean, this is no great surprise, but a total inability to really critically reflect, let alone have a critical reflection result in a conclusion that maybe we'd done something wrong or, you know, our actions didn't align with the desires of the, the electorate. It's more chalking it up to, uh, you know, the the sort of the shallow whims of a capricious electorate. What what are you going to do? Sometimes they just want to change the curtains. Um, there's a real denial, I think, um, in the Liberal Party and a certain section of the Liberal Party still. Um, of course, that's balanced by um, some of the moderates, but most of those people who are saying um, we need to learn from this and we need to make a massive change, especially with regards to our climate policy, they're gone. Uh, you know, they're the people that lost their seats. So it's it's not clear what's going to happen with, with the party, I suppose. That's right. And I mean, like Jane Hume, who I see has um, um, been appointed with Brian Loughran to run the review into the, the Liberal Party campaign, was on 2GB the other day, who said, uh, it's a quote that's getting out on social media, liberal values are very much Australia's values. I don't think that Australia understands that anymore. As in, um, <laughs> they left us, we didn't yes. leave them. Um, like it's, yeah. I don't think they get, I don't think they get the, the enormity of, of, of what's happened or, or if they do, it's, it still doesn't feel real to them. So, um, it, I think they're going to go through quite a process. Um, but they, they need to, you know, it, I think they're in a, they're in a, in a really invidious position as an organization. You know, the base of their, um, much of the base of their, of their activists and their, and their members are, are now very much to the right, um, of the, of even the centre right of Australia. Um, they've done a lot of recruiting and, and, and had issues with French stacking on, unlike the, the same issues in the Labour Party of people who have a, a view that is not reflective of the, the majority of, of traditional liberal voters. So, um, but those people are, are still in the Liberal Party and, and have, and get to determine things like pre-selections. They get elected to governing bodies and, and, and things like that. The Parliamentary Party and the Nationals are now more right-wing, um, you know, based on if you look at who the members are and how they voted previously and their comments in public. Um, but the, the people who they clearly need to win back, um, don't hold those views. Um, and I think that stands even, this might be worth talking about a bit more, but I think 
that even stands in those those so-called outer metro seats, you know, where, where Labor's vote held up reasonably well. There wasn't much change in, in seats. Um, you know, I don't know where the path back is for the Liberal Party at the moment unless it includes some of those um, now, you know, smaller Liberal electorates in, in the inner cities of, of the major capitals. Mm. Um, well, uh, I guess um, just like to wrap up this, maybe we can, yeah, definitely talk about the future of those seats in a second, um, that I noted um, a couple of interesting um, Trump comparisons that came from um, two, two blokes. Um, firstly was Bernard Keane, um, who was sort of talking uh, in Crikey about how um, the big lie, of, there's a big, you know, now there's a big lie, just like what, you know, Trump did after the um, 2020 election, um, be, being that, um, you know, the the um, yeah the liberals base um, shifted to the right and that's why they were rejected or or the liberals base stayed where it was and the party shifted to the left rather um, and so I thought that was quite interesting I mean um, as you're saying about this review being conducted in part by Jane Hume and the obvious denial that people in the sort of um, party are in um, I think it's important to note um, as I did um, on Twitter in regards to Bernard Keane's um, article that after every election um, <laughs> parties learn uh, an array of lessons, many of them are completely wrong because of the motivated reasoning of the people in charge of those parties um, and their bias confirmation and their desire to uh, believe that they have not done the wrong thing personally or their allies or whatever, um, and that we don't really require recourse to um, um, Donald Trump or Trumpism to understand this phenomenon. Um, so I think we should be careful of that. Uh, fortunately, I think we're going to see a lot of it. Um, from certain sections of the, um, you know, kind of the the liberal, small L sort of liberal um, press and centre in Australia, I think um, Trump derangement syndrome, um, you know, it persists and um, people fall way too easily into the temptation of comparing everything to, um, to US politics and Trump in particular. Um, secondly, um, was Howard Dean's quite astonishing rant on um, Sky News uh, about how uh, he's telling you, Marky Diary, um, uh, early, uh, 2025, um, Donald Trump's going to be sworn in as the next president again. And then, uh, Peter Dutton will bring the liberals into Australia to usher in, you know, a thousand year Reich of, um, of the right in, in, you know, AUKUS or whatever. Um, so I thought, uh, yeah, just worth noting that mm-hmm. I think the, the shadow of Trumpism and, um, the Australian rights, um, as, as well, their kind of desire to cling to this, um, kind of, fantasy of authoritarian um, victory uh, persists and it'll be really worth uh, paying attention to and, and just, yeah, seeing what happens with that over the next um, years and months. Absolutely. Well, they've, they've captured the Liberal Party. Um, they've certainly captured most of the National Party um, and they don't want to let it go. Um, and we'll see whether um, this pays them dividends in the long term or not. Um, my inclination at the moment is no. Um, obviously, that, that that is all predicated on the performance of this of this parliament uh, in, in being able to deliver concrete um, concrete commitments uh, that will make lives better for for everyone. You know, I think if you look carefully at what Albanese's been saying, um, Prime Minister Albanese, and it gets better every time I say it, um, that um, that he's looking, you know, clearly on the horizon of, of, of the second term. Um, and I think that's certainly the attitude that, that the Labor Party absolutely should be taking. But I think also it's the attitude that the Teals and, and the Greens should be taking too. Mm. I think the idea, take a lesson from the 2007 to 
period. Um, certainly the Labor Party has learned a lot of those lessons, but I think there are lessons for the Greens and Independents to learn from as well, that they have to try and make this work. Everyone has to try and make this work. They have to try and find a way um, of establishing some norms and some relationships um, and some common ground um, that will achieve concrete things um, that will be absorbed by the, the Australian people um, and, and will lay the foundation for bringing the water with at least a second term. Um, because if we don't do that, uh, and I, I you've pointed this around already, you pointed this out already, Jacob, on, on social media, that people need to um, be really conscious of the fact that the, that the establishment right, the people who captured the Liberal Party and the National Party, are going to try and drive wedges between this 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 very at the moment very um, uh, a, a junior and, and ill-formed um, coalition or parliament. Um, or this, this, yeah, this, this grouping of seats um, in order to ensure that, that nothing can occur um, because that's the only way they're going to get a, a foothold into success is if the parliament can't deliver for people. Mm. And I think that is the key, the absolute key thing that needs to be, um, that needs to be key to over the next three years. Absolutely. And you're going to hear us, dear listener, harping on about this, I think, um, over the course of this episode, actually. Um, so let's talk about one... Um, part of that future um, sort of social democratic governing coalition, the Teals. Um, we've got, um, what is it uh, at now? Um, can someone tell me, is it 14, uh, 13 or 14 Teal seats that are, are confirmed? The crossbench cross at the moment is 15. It's 15. Um, but that includes three Greens. Yeah. So there's 12, 12. plus Great. Kata. So, uh, you know, 11... Yep. You know, 11 if you include it's, yeah. it's, it's like you uh, you stop paying attention after a day and then you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I was looking at 12 the other day. Like, what, <laughs> what do you mean it's 15? Like, yeah. six. It's Canada. Yeah, no. it's, it, I mean, that, that, that's part of like, I'm, our listeners don't get us wrong. We're very excited and very happy about the result. Uh, in many ways, it probably is the best result there could be for the left. But um, that's more in terms of an, the organi- organizational aspect i think which you know we'll talk about more later on but like yeah i think matt's dead right um we should be very enthusiastic about the government and the opportunity there in terms of the big big politics and emphasizing collaboration rather than difference as Mm. as, uh, the way to go about it and even if labor can govern in its own right well that's great but why don't you make sure that you keep the crossbench sweet and they at least the plp have indicated that they have every intention to do that yeah, it was really heartening to see um, to see the um, the the articles around uh, the Guardian and, 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 and nine papers where Tony Burke um, has already started collaborating um, with the member for Indi um, about reforming Helen Haynes. I think her name is about uh, reforming how the Parliament operates to be more inclusive of, of the cross bench. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that if that means we end up with a speaker who's also an independent. Um, you know, that will help Labor's uh, uh, numbers on the. Or um, it'll also send a signal that um, this will be a more collaborative parliament. It's something that um, state labour governments have been doing for more than a decade, um, putting in non-labour um, members as as as, as speaker, um, even even from opposition in Tasmania. Uh, quite recently, there was a, a move to do that. Um, so I think there's there's a there's a habit now of doing that. I don't think the federal parliament is is is, is less special or more special than. Um, than those parliaments. So yeah, mm. I, but I, I, on your general point, I think it's 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 a strong start. Um, we'll have to see where you know the wash up of the seat counts um, mm. 
to see how this could develop. Yeah. So we've got this, um, yeah, this new configuration in Parliament with, with this with this group of independents that have um, smashed the Liberals in their heartland. Um, this area of you know very wealthy, very educated inner urban coastal seats, um, and uh, I guess considering the fact that these are um, you know professional, intellectual, um, almost I think they are all women, um, but I don't think that the phenomenon is restricted entirely to women. Um, it's especially but not only women um, that are kind of involved in this um, electoral wave, you know um, that they you know have really I would say broken away from the kind of existing long fairly like for a long time fairly solid, um, you know, ruling class um, alliance, maybe a coalition um, of, you know, the professional classes, um, homeowners, um, with the, the, the main kind of constituents of the coalition being the, the mining, um, pastoral and um, financial interests in Australia. Um, so what I want to know is, um, right as things stand now, um, if what you're just talking about, uh, a kind of, you know, very constructive, collaborative, um, um, productive uh, parliament that doesn't come to pass. Is there a risk of this uh, section uh, kind of recohering with the right um, in the future? Um, is that like a real possibility that we face? Um, possibly, but I think if we, if we look at the, the the policy platforms or the commitments that the the Patel independents have made um, for the election, then um, and you can compare them, you know, broadly speaking, to the platforms of the Labor Party and the Coalition, um, there's much more overlap with with the AL. Than there is with the coalition, you know, on, on, on climate action, um, the teals have a the net zero for 2030 ranges from between 50 and 60 uh, percent. You know, obviously the Labor Party's is, is, is mid 40s, uh, so there is there is a bit of a gap, but it's a, it's a stronger pivot than what the Liberal uh, National Coalition um, have offered. Um, the commitment to the order statement from the heart, including a constitutional. Um, constitutionally embedded voice to parliament, the Nakarada Commission and, and Treaty, all of them have listed that as, as, a, as a commitment. Um, aged care reform, uh, universal early childhood education, um, there are some differences, differences in how they, 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 they say they'll get there, but I can't see them being too different from where the Labor Party sits. Mm. Um, they've all um, made some, you know, commitments around, um, you know, um, women's rights, um, and implementing the, the recommendations of, of the, the reports um, in, and, and have included um, commitments to equal pay for women, um, so supporting up in wage cases for most of them, not all of them. Um, yeah, so I think there is there is a, a broad agenda there, uh, at, at the very least for the first term, um, that, that, that fits pretty closely to, to federal labours. So, yep. um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty heartened that, that, that things could be gotten done, um, mm. especially when you look at the Senate results as well. Yeah. And so I guess also there's this kind of contradiction um, in that grouping that they need to um, reckon with uh, to some extent, or maybe, um, which is the fact that they um, are obviously a, a, a real grouping. They all have the teal colours and um, they were all um, to varying degrees funded by Climate 200, Simon Holmes Accords, you know, the uh, sort of um, the philanthropists' um, climate um, kind of, you know, pack equivalent or whatever. Um, and yet I think, uh, it's a pattern of Australian politics that independents really need to maintain their individuality and their sort of sense of independence, um, with a C, 
um, in order to you know maintain the sort of strong support of their um, their electorates. So, um, is that firstly is that something that they're you know is going to be difficult for them to, to navigate? And I'm also interested in um, whether it's likely that the government or governments in future are, are likely to exploit that um, and take a kind of divide and, and rule approach. I mean, it's possible for sure. I mean, if, if there are if there are big differences that that, that come up from time to time between um, those individual members, then yeah, I think I think you could easily see um, you know some members take a, a position on some things and others vote against it. Um, I gotta say, though, I think that actually might end up being a net positive for them. Um, because I think that it, it, it reinforces their independence. Um, you know, I, I think that if, they, if they're if they smart about it, then they, they could actually, and I'm sure as we get closer to, to the next election, that they, you will see some sharpening up of, of contrast and, and the like, so they, they, can, they can show that they are different and they're not just, you know, members of the Labor Party, um, which is issues that we've had to deal with in, in the ACT with the Greens. Um, you know, towards the end of every electoral cycle, um, there's always a bit of um, showboating and, um, you know, rallying around the green flag uh, after we've governed um, relatively um, well with, with Labor. Uh, so I wouldn't expect anything different from uh, the Greens and Teals uh, federally. Uh, but everyone has to kind of do it in a way that uh, doesn't sink the whole ship um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's, uh, that's obviously something we don't want. Oh, you just reminding me of there's a great children's book called um, Who Sunk the Boat? And <laughs> I think it, it really is um, going to be a balancing act in the next little while uh, around, um, look, look, broadly, there's, we can generalise, there's, there's the generalised sort of liberal politics amongst those, those independents, and that's like, fine, we can do all that. Their stated policy positions is a crossover, that's great, it's good. Uh, but yeah, the, the differences will come out. And I, I guess that's the hopeful thing is at the moment, the similarities are, are more than the differences with the, the incumbent, the, the, um, the new Albanese led government. So yeah, it's, I broadly, it's good. Um, I'm, I'm not too, too worried about it right now. I'm actually, I'm more concerned that we're going to, oh, there needs to be some change that'll happen quickly, but the other things I'm concerned about, um, yeah, I guess it's we're waiting for the next. For me, it's almost like waiting for the next, getting ready for the next term. You know, like okay, government's gone, the left now. In terms of like the socialist left, we need to actually um, commence like what it is that we want the Labor government to do because it's like all right, they've ticked a whole bunch of boxes. They ran a fairly small target campaign. Like yeah, some of the, the some of the commitments were like yeah, they're no, they're important. You know, increased tax tax positions and climate change and like all good. Um, supporting a care workers submission to the Fair Work Commission and um, uh, raising the minimum wage but yeah it's you know we, we've got to be ready to move on and the real fight actually I think people and our listeners have got to know is actually sort of really starts now is, is where we're going to find ourselves in the next three years. Yeah for sure look I think if, if there's something where I reckon there, there could be a point of difference um, and why I'm really hoping there is a majority Labor government um, is in the area of industrial relations um, you know, apart from um, the recommendations in um, the Jenkins report and the respective work report, um, and the commitments to um, backing in a, a minimum wage increase um, to CPI, 
the the appeals and the independents, including David Pocock, are, are silent on workers' rights. Um, they're silent. The word trade union didn't get a mention. I could see in any of their policy platforms, um, which is you know what you expect when you're targeting um, traditional liberal electorates. Um, but if they are the ones who get to determine the future of an industrial relations package um, that that has that could go to the Senate to make life better for all working people, then um, that's where I think we might hit a sticking point. Um, I don't know, like I could be proven wrong here, but at, at this point, if you're looking for something, if you want to try and cast into the future about something where they may stand up to back in their liberal, you know, traditional liberal um, supporter base and not to send a signal that they're actually, you know, reds under the bed, um, then it, it could be industrial relations. So um, that 76, 77th seat uh, will be crucial, I think, in, 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 in that agenda. Because um, I, you know, and that's certainly where I think the left um, needs to do work on in helping, um, you know, educate people, uh, bring over, put pressure on those teals if we do need to rely on them to do it, um, to, to do the right thing and, and support um a package of reforms to support workers improve their power and, and their uh and their way of life at the workplace. Mm. Um, I maybe can I just come at that from a slightly different angle, um the question of minority and majority. Um because something that I kind of worry about is a scenario where Labour does um you know succeeds in a small majority um and then um uses that to um to get through some legislation, especially on the Teal's real, um, you know, pet issues, right? So um, thinking in particular about climate action and um, the Integrity Commission. Um, and that's maybe, you know, particularly on climate, like you've mentioned, their, um, net, their, their targets uh, for emissions are much more ambitious than, than Labor's. Um, that um, that could be, you know, end up being totally unsatisfactory to the, this like Teal grouping. Um, and then that would sort of be basically read as an act of, of really bad faith by the Labor Party. And then, you know, in the future, this could result in, yeah, um, like um, a really kind of divided situation where um, what you end up with is the the sort of central motivating issues for this, um, the right wing of the, this new sort of social democratic coalition um, have been neutralised and they do need to be, they need to be dispatched, right, because they're actually really essential um, urgent issues, especially climate, um, but that they're neutralized without there being a process of building up, um, you know, good working relationships, good processes um, and of collaboration and um, starting to work towards what we need, what you've talked about already, Matt, which is um, a long-term um, establishment of a kind of um, informal, um, you know, yeah, um, governing coalition that includes the Teals, includes the Greens with Labour in the centre. Um, because that's what absolutely needs to occur um, if there's going to be, you know, multiple terms, this government, um, where it's able to get some of the really essential big structural changes um, done that are necessary to address, you know, inequality in Australia in things like in the workplace, in education, in health. Yeah, look, I think I think that will that'll be that'll be predicated on, on how these things are, are handled. I think if 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 people are blindsided whilst they're under a bus, then that will obviously um, create tension and bad blood, um, and, and will and, and will lead to you know revenge um, hits um, and to people escalating um, you know the, the divisions if they occur. So I think um, 
my advice for children's disease would be um, to to go um, with with an open mind and to be as collaborative as possible, as collaborative as possible. And I think for all sides, the tribe, the three different uh, groups, to um, be adult enough to agree to disagree, um, but not let, um, as Andrew Barr likes to say, the perfect be the enemy of the good, um, because you know. The, the teals um, and the greens are going to need things to run on um, in the next term as well. Um, and perhaps um, campaigning for another few percent, um, you know, emissions target could actually be the basis to help um, to help do that. I don't know. Um, you know, for argument's sake, mm, sure. if 45% is where, is where you land, right, and they want 50 to 60, then they can say, you know, we need to get the job done, we need to re-elect it, this isn't over. Um, you know, that, that'll depend on when they'll, you know, get into bed with Labor and, and vote for it. I don't know. Uh, kind of where, where kind of, you know, shooting the breeze there. But um, they, they could either provide opportunity. Disagreements could either provide present opportunities for things to go to shit or they could present opportunities for people to um, provide the, the necessary differentiation, product differentiation, in order for um, this coalition to get re-elected, you know, in, in, one, in one way, shape or another. Um, but I think the the way that that gets done is 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 really dependent on how Parliament operates. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, as to what Ben was saying about you know what's the role for socialists in that, I think you know there is a role for socialists in in, in, in on the Labor Green side of things um, to 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 start opening up to each other more, to start talking more, um, to start trying to work through some of these issues as as activists because those things do feed up the chain um and i think you know when when your mps and they do the temperature test in the branches um or whatever the equivalent is in the greens then um what what the message they should be hearing is is just don't blow the show up because you've you you're red hot for this person and, and you hate them you know it's like <laughs> you, you, we put you in here to do a job and yeah. you have to do it um yeah don't think that you're going to win um win our support or or our um our our, our love and, and, and adoration um by going through through and that goes for both the greens as much as it does for the yeah look i was actually going to suggest we we flip back around to our, our side like and i think i think matt's uh, again it's always great having matt on he gives us a bit of a sense of perspective and a strategy you know it's great um so we're going to flip it to talking about um, our politics in terms of being democratic, socialist, involved in labour, and and just I think I guess activists in labour right now. Because one one of the things I've already found interesting with this result is there's two things going on. There's some people are basically going like it's like Plibersek with Tanya Plibersek, the deputy um, former deputy leader of the Parliamentary Labour Party, who will have a front bench. Well, I remember she was there like on election night saying a win is a win is a win. On the one hand, you're like, yeah, that's cool, Tanya. That's great. Uh, on the other hand, there we are with Victoria, New South Wales, two of our biggest states, and in Queensland as well. <laughs> uh, well, Queensland's spectacularly going backwards for Labor in terms of the lower house count. Um, but in New South Wales and Queensland, uh, we're, we're talking about 1% swings uh, against Labor in an election where you would have thought we would have actually gone forward now there, there are lots of like we can talk i don't i don't really want to get into the the optics of um, well, i think we've done it previous on previous shows in terms of what the platform 
was running into the election. But I think the one of the things I wanted to hone in on is uh, New South Wales yet again showing its inglorious history. I've got to look at the maps again, but I'm pretty sure we didn't win anything outside of a coastal seat uh, in New South Wales. I can be proven wrong. Maybe Hunter, something without an you know yeah something without an ocean. Yeah. Pretty rare in New South Wales. I don't know. But my, my, this goes to something we've, we've talked about in the past where New South Wales is a classic and Victoria. We're talking about branches of the Labor Party that have had to have either federal intervention from the federal party to clean up their organisation. Um, Victoria ran into this in, in basically being run by the federal branch because of corrupt behaviour, bad behaviour, branch stacking and like in, in Victoria. And we know, and, and we've sort of seen this on the ground, a repeat of the usual thing that we see in New South Wales, particularly our part of the world in south southeastern New South Wales, is hitting up volunteers uh, from Canberra. More often than not, even less of that this time around, because they literally just seem to rely on people who are paid to go, as usual, to, to the south coast and the like. Uh, we see that result in Gilmore. It's really not clear. It's going, probably going to come down to like 30 votes, the city of Gilmore. That's despite... Uh, some unions spending an awful lot of money um, sitting their staff, camping them there for a couple of months on end uh, for this election campaign. Uh, some lovely, I've met some fantastic people yet again from uh, from Maria. There's a great sub-branch there, fantastic sub-branch. Um, problem is, though, that probably the youngest member is probably 65. Um, they do great work. Uh, they meet at, you know, <laughs> a lunchtime. <laughs> We're talking about an organisation which is getting older and dying and the central part of the organization does not care uh, and refuses to actually see the writing on the wall, which is there are the greens and the teals with these young people, lots of younger people joining, getting active and involved and outside of the inner city sort of stoush stuff for, for, um, for, for Sydney branch, um, for, you know, the love of the party in New South Wales, what I'm saying is, uh, it's not very healthy in the regions at all. And that, that organisation, if Labor wants to claw back its primary vote, it needs to get real about having an open, open and broad and democratic party. The last point I want in, and maybe Matt might have some thoughts on this, the fact that we had a high-profile candidate, uh, Christina Keneally, a former New South Wales Premier, Premier. Now, people can say what they will about her. At the end of the day, she had profile. She had, like, respect for, you know, the, some of the things that she's done in the past. Also, people weren't, weren't big fans of her. But the fact that the machine were operated in such a way that they pushed out the right-wing forces of New South Wales, um, pushed her out that she had effectively structurally no choice but to run in a lower house seat. They gave her a parachute into a lower house seat, a very diverse um, community lower house seat of Fowler. And she was so comprehensively um, destroyed by that electorate, quite rightly, who didn't appreciate a candidate being being uh, imposed on them. That That is really it's pretty stark stuff for uh, New South Wales Labor. And then I also like for Victorian Labor to really have a look at how it's organising itself. Anyway, lots of stuff there, man. What do you reckon? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think there's certainly a lot to um, unpick there. Um, I think you are being a bit unfair on the Labor Party in terms of the overall primary vote. I think um, where um, the reason why you've seen um, a small swing away from the Labor Party primary vote in the 2019 is if you add up the, the, the primary votes from people voting, um, even in seats we don't normally win, um, 
that that adds to to the overall part the party's overall primary. And there is it's clear that that Labor Party voters are people who normally vote Labor in in those seats that went teal uh, voted technically um, and shifted their vote to to the teal. So we there's a, a few people on 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 social media who are much smarter at this than I am. Um, reckon that we've lost about one to one and a half percent of, of, of a primary vote based on that, based on that tactical voting. So we're currently sitting on around 33% um, of the primary vote. And in 2019, we got 33 and a third um, percent of the vote. So it's not too different. In fact, it would have gone up a little bit, you could argue, um, on this basis. Is it great? No, it's not. Um, but we do have the alternative vote system, which is the system that we, that we live in. Um, and we're still tracking for 5248 on that basis, which is basically the same two party preferred that we won in 1972 and only one point off what Hawk won in 83. So historically, it's, it's, it's not the worst, uh, result, I don't think, for the Labor Party. Um, I think we do get, um, infatuated with, with the primary vote, um, and two party preferred, uh, issues because that got tied in with a year that some in the Labor Party had that they kind of drunk the cultural Kool-Aid um, and decided that all uh, working class voters were moving to the right um, and therefore the party needed to move to the right. Um, and otherwise, you know, there's going to be, you know, dire straits and, and, and whatever. But um, it's actually not up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, Victoria, I think, has also done, uh, has actually done quite well in this election. Um, we have one seat in, in Victoria. Um, there's, there's a couple that are on a nice edge that we, we may or may not pick up, like Deacon and, and Holding McNamara. I'm pretty confident we will hold McNamara, but um, we'll see about that. So I think the Victorian Rants has actually done, has done quite well. I don't know how much more well they could have done, um, to be honest, in, in Victoria. New South Wales certainly, um, I think, is, it is an interesting place. Um, you know, you're right with Fowler, um, and I don't think I could add much more than, than what Austin True has, has added. Um, apart from the fact that there is a lesson, um, I think across the, the, the results that we see that you have to reflect your community. You have to, you know, stand candidates that reflect the, the voters, um, uh, not just in, in how they, you know, what their views are, but also, you know, their, their background, their experiences and, and, um, you know, what they stand for. Um, so, you know, we missed the boat on a couple of, um, points there and yeah it it costs us in one seat can i just add to that as well matt um that it's a lesson that the is shown also in the liberals campaigning and lead up to the election is that you have to respect your branches you have to respect your sub branches because those are the people that actually turn up to be involved this very thankless going to and uh running um sub branch meetings and things like that but those are also the uh, you know the party's most active um most engaged members and for the sort of state party apparatus to turn around and say um, no, you know, in, in both um, the Liberals and Labor's cases, um, forget that we've got a bigger, you know, bigger picture plan that works for us that doesn't include what you want. Um, there's a real cost yeah. to that. There's a real cost. The prime to minister. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that that play will be squarely, I think, um, through the feet of, of the former prime minister. Um, and and you're right. Um, I think, um, you know, it's, it's actually a, something I don't think we, we, we grapple with, um, that much in the RFP is the fact that many branches of the Liberal Party are more democratic than ours. Mm. Um, you know, that, uh, they are, um, the state electoral, you know, um, committees or, 
or the you know the local branches are fiercely protective of their of their right to determine who the candidate is. Um, you know, some of them might be extremely right wing, some of them are generally could be a lot more moderate. But um, you know, what Morrison did was put a bomb underneath all of that, um, and it, it really pissed a lot of people off. I hadn't actually thought about that. That it does make sense that if you've got seats where people would normally have voted Labor one or, or like yeah, the tactical voting thing's definitely something that's happened, and that's probably that has been something that's happened in the ACT where we've seen in the Senate uh, people that would have normally, um, obviously enough of them still put Labor number one to see Senate Senator Kate Gallagher returned, but there would have been quite a few who voted tactically. Um, uh, for David Pocock, the, the ACT did look just the, the shorthand for me is how good is it that Zed is gone? That's that's through the starting yeah. point, and now we actually have a former Wallaby captain. Uh, said, I mean, oh, that's awesome. I'm just a gushing Brumbies fan, you know? but um, having said that, um, we, we just have to, you know, my personal mission to two great passions are finally reflected in the nation's parliament, mate. There you go, there you go. Well, what gotta, are you talking about? You had Craig Kelly you know, before, he was going to go player. and have a chat. I've got to go and knock on his door. Who, Craig? <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate. Mate, mate, mate. Don't get me started. Um, but what, what, what I was thinking, maybe we're just going to have to organize, you know, go and have. We're going to have to just, you know, see if we can have a coffee with Dave Pocock and say, mate, where are you on the working class? You know, <laughs> what, do you, what do you reckon? <laughs> can you give us, just give us a little bit of democracy, please? Uh, you know, get behind that. That'd yeah. be nice. Um, but that's been really, that's been a spectacular result, uh, yeah. seeing the end of Z. Because if, if you're not from Canberra, you would have, because we're gerrymandered in the Senate, we only have two, not 12 senators, unlike Tasmania, which is not much bigger than us. And that's one of the things I think in the future we really need to fight hard on is, is electoral reform. Um, we would always end up with a, a conservative, a liberal uh, conservative um, politician becoming one of our senators or, or Labor. And so it's a, a real, uh, this is the first time it's happened in like 50 odd years. So it's 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 incredible um, to get that result. So I hope that bodes it's well for our, um, yeah, for our community, which is, you know, broadly, probably one of the most you know progressive, smaller liberal ones um, around us um, in, in Australia. But yeah, yeah. Oh, I, again, if you were talking about you know liberal parties that are that are totally you know uh, seeing the lighting on the walls, the Canberra Liberals. You know, they're third in Canberra. They've just lost their senator. Um, you know, and Zed is the defining uh, person in that branch. You know, Zed's politics, Zed's organising capacity, his ability. Um, his family members and closest allies were heavily involved in against Australia, the kind of right-wing get-up. Um, his contribution to the architecture of right-wing uh, politics in Australia should not be uh, underestimated or should, shouldn't, be, um, shouldn't be talked down. Um, the, what, what he has done um, to, to kind of uh, help build up a generation of, of very right-wing um, Liberal Party activists um, and, and members um, he's, has, has certainly had an effect on, on our nation's politics and he's gone, uh, effectively he's gone. Um, where does that leave the Canberra Liberals? You know, they're kind of milling around, um, not really doing much um, in, the, in the Territory uh, Assembly. Um, they have now no federal representation in the ACT. Uh, Elizabeth Lee is now the most senior member of the Liberal Party in the ACT without a shadow of a doubt. Right, and she does not come from that side of the party. Um, 
but clearly the membership and the, the people who run the organisation do. So uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch the Canberra Liberals over the next year or two. Absolutely. And I suppose the other interesting thing about Pocock is a big part of the um, the, the teal, not, not that he's like, you know, generally considered um, a component in the teal phenomenon, but... Um, uh, so he got some money from him, so he may as well be. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, but I... I a sort of central um, component of their mess of the messaging and the promise of the the independent is uh, community representation. You know, um, David Pocock spent a lot of time talking about how I think it's not it's not right that the parties, um, um, you know, or politicians in in Canberra, uh, you know, are considering um, the demands of their party and the demands of their donors um, in um, when, when they make decisions and what they vote on. Um, and so the promise is, uh, you know, my doors open effectively. Like I'll I'll be representing the the will of the the people in my in my electorate, my, my constituency. So, um, what I would say is that um, people who are you know any anyone anyone politically active in Canberra, but especially um, civil society, um, people who have been involved in um, organisations which in the past have had their ability to um, campaign and do what they do what they need to do. Um, things like pill testing and um, abortion and um, uh, 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 assisted dying in Canberra. Um, you know, those are the euthanasia. kinds of people that. Sorry, you, oh, euthanasia. So they're different, aren't they? Um, uh, that they uh, take note of the of the of the, the, the promise um, of David Pocock and um, pick up the phone and make sure that he, he hears them because that's a big part of the, the promise of his campaign. Um, and yeah, trade unions and um, members of the Labor Party and the Greens as well, in whatever capacity that they're organising themselves in, should be picking up the phone and talking to uh, talking to Pocock because um, uh, that's a big part of his uh, mandate now is to, to listen to what Canberrans are saying and then vote accordingly when he goes up to up to Parliament Parliament Hill. Yeah. Uh, well, what about the Pocock campaign, guys? Um, I've got to be honest. I was um, kind of thinking ten percent, maybe twelve percent, was where David Pocock was going to was going to top out um, in his campaign. Um, funnily enough, I was um, on placement recently at a Catholic school in Canberra and heard from uh, a group of Year Twelve girls that they were all voting for David Pocock because, quote, he's so hot. Okay, so um, maybe that was an early sign that I should have looked for, that um, he was going to do better than expected. But I definitely didn't pick him going all the way to, I think, yeah, in the, the early 20s in his percentage of, of primary vote in the Senate in the ACT. So um, any insights, Matt or Ben, in, on the Pocock campaign, why it was so successful um, in terms of their you know, campaign strategy on the ground? Um, I will say that I noticed um, down at the wine and primary booth, um, a lot of um, very kind of young, very healthy looking uh, sort of athletic types um, handing out for Pocock, you know, like he, I think he's really got a certain kind of um, young person really excited and enjoyed by his campaign. So um, maybe that's part of it. Maybe he's called it the Park Run uh, community as, yeah. his, uh, as his base of support. But yeah. um, well, I, my, my, my contribution, I think, will be brief because I wasn't there um, and I don't, didn't get much of a, a ground view on, on how the campaign was run. But I think the general point is that um, I didn't really think that the, that the, the roughly 30% of people who would vote uh, Liberal would, would change. Um, their vote, they've been given plenty of opportunities previously um, for some high-caliber um, and quite relatable candidates uh, from the Greens um, to to and, and, and independence to to change that vote, um, but clearly Pocock um, 
represented a uh, provided them with an opportunity to vote for someone who they could relate to without uh, feeling like they've they've um, crossed their class uh, you know um, allegiances for a better way of putting it um, you know there's clearly something in the in the mindset of the of the liberal voter small liberal voter I guess in this case um, that just can't stomach voting Labour or Green um, in any case um, and have continually voted for um, the party who doesn't reflect them at all. But now that a, a viable, um, a realistic um, option was presented, they went for it. Um, yeah, so that's that's clearly, I think, what's, what's happened. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't need to agree with you there, Matt. That, I guess that, that dissident um, voice was, um, they finally had a can. I guess the key thing is that I think there's a lot of people in the Canberra community who, say the politicos, right? If you're a political geek like, like we are, we probably pay, we would have, a lot of people were going, well, well is this, <laughs> having to explain to the people on the left who David Pocock was, was, was kind of hilarious in the lead up to the election. It <laughs> is a failure of the left to not like sport. Like, I, just yeah, don't, like, I just don't understand why yeah. being a socialist and not liking sport are somehow, you know, yeah. two different things. I, I think it's just in a classic example of like, look, pay attention to what your local sporting teams are doing. Like, and, and if they got a particularly good, um, if one of them is making national news some years ago for repeatedly coming out saying things, having a go at the government over whether it was um, climate change and, and environment activism or refugees or blah, like, well, hey, like we, we ideally we would have loved him to be a, a candidate for the Labor Party or for the Greens. That would have would have been a great um, uh, result, but that didn't happen. But in the end, I think it's still a, it's a good good result for the ACT in the sense that there's we've got a bit of a, a circuit breaker there. Um, it was spectacular. The the very interesting I, for that campaign. They at least had hundreds of people involved. They said they had over two thousand one hundred. Well, I look, I believe it, man. Like I'm only because I, I just happen to know where they were meeting <laughs> and they were getting down at the Polish White Eagle. Hello, Polish White Eagle, um, place that we support. Um, we have literally, you know, different people week in, week out for a very long time. Um, and, and by all accounts, a real um, cross-class type thing, well, a real range of people going along and getting behind. And I don't know, look, being in the north side, not really expecting that would be much, but a, a lot of the on-the-ground signage and the like definitely going on for Pocock. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it did, did cut across, having a high-profile candidate, having the right issues, and finally, I think, the right person, right time, uh, and people particularly sick of the um, the conservative um, Z, and a lot of people seeing it finally as an opportunity to bury the guy. So that was that's my take on it, and that's that's very good. Yeah, you're right. something interesting there, Ben, about the, the number of volunteers and, and, and what they did. I didn't, I don't... I didn't get a sense in here from anyone that they did any door knocking or any kind of serious field work. It was mainly mobilisation, handing out things and being on stalls and just kind of going jogging in a t-shirt and putting yeah. up a call for it. But um, it does the, the teal kind of thing um, and, and pococking that raises some fascinating discussions about you know what is the what is ideal political participation? What does political participation look like to people? Think that that is what what it is, um, because you know it's certainly a challenge to my thinking, which, as you guys know, and and, and the only follow kind of my thinking in, in the Labor Party is that um, I have always advocated for deep engagement. You know, it's, it's basically what what the Greens have done in Brisbane, and I think they should be congratulated for their, for their work in the last six years doing deep community organising and shifting um, and shifting the ground there. 
Um, and I think there's certainly some, some things that um, the Labor Party um, everywhere should take uh, from that because that's that's closer to my understanding of what you know, meaningful political participation looks like. Whereas this kind of mobilising around a, um, uh, a person, um, a tribune uh, type individual, mm-hmm. um, and you know, being part of a of a of a, of a shift, um, a change that's really positive and exciting, is good, but it has the potential to wash away really quickly. Yep. Um, you know, I'd be fascinated to see how these independents start building infrastructure if they do um, to maintain this supporter base. Do they start deepening their engagement now with them? Do they start trying to, you know, become more like a voices old thing where they start, you know, having regular um, house meetings with these people? Do they start basically building party infrastructure? One of a better way of saying it, um, or movement infrastructure that um, is going to is going to keep build strong and deep ties with their supporter base, or do they think that it's over now? You know, we know it's all coming out now that there were some very uh, well-paid, um, very professional political consultants, um, uh, advertising and and, and and communications teams. There's obviously a research team. You know, the guy who ran that is is very um, vocal on Twitter, um, even though he got the ACT very wrong. Um, you know, I think that there's, you know, is that is that were they a professional campaign outfit, or is there a more of a movement party um, infrastructure building going to go on? Um, I'd be fascinated to see what happens there. I'd love to know what you guys think. And I think that the comparison between the Brisbane Greens and, and the Teals would be an interesting case study. Yeah, I think um, that, I mean, we've talked a couple of times on the show about um, Twitter debates um, involving um, David Sliga about um, the efficacy of door knocking um, and these kinds of like... Take the L, David, take the yeah. L. <laughs> no, I think he did. He very graciously actually, I think, did uh, to his credit. Um, but yeah, um, he, uh, yeah, no. Um, so I think, um, yeah, you're right. The Greens did incredibly well. Um, and the combination of um, really uh, well-informed, really activated and um, kind of dedicated volunteer group um, that they have up there um, with some good kind of uh, meat and potatoes policies as well was a, a big factor for the Greens in Brisbane, um, like stuff like Medicare for Dental. Um, I think some of their candidates were also talking about, you know, issues around the Brisbane airport um, and as, as, as well, of course, um, their sort of core policy of um, strident action on climate change. Um, then I guess, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure about the, um, the other teal candidates. I think some of them were um, quite heavily engaged with um, door knocking, whereas some others weren't and took, I think, kind of more the approach that you've described already for David Pocock. Um, I would really like to get some concrete comparative data, actually, on what the campaigns are doing. We might see it, we might not, um, but it would be very interesting to see. Uh, there's one compa- like, con- sort of slight contrast that uh, I think is would be worth making, um, and so I'll begin by sort of shouting out and cr- congratulating our friend uh, Grace Flanagan, um, who's been down in Melbourne running Karina um, Garland's campaign in the seat of Chisholm. Um, and Grace is a like a big believer, a big practitioner of um, you know multi-layered deep engagement, including door knocking and phone banking. Um, and um, I know that's that's what they were doing down there. Um, and they've also had, you know, great success, um, but running on, you know, running on what a lot of people have called a, a sort of small labor platform. 
Um, I think a big factor there for them was um, that Chisholm is a, a, a sort of heavily, um, you know, diverse community. There's a big um, Chinese uh, population there, um, which was, uh, my guess is, uh, pretty turned off by um, government's rhetoric on China, um, a kind of really, um, you know, belligerent, uh, opportunistic stance um, on um, foreign relations in general. Um, and that I think it's very interesting and worth noting, I guess, that they, their campaign was so successful that they actually were able to eject a um, ethnically Chinese uh, local member uh, in favour of um, a Labour member who's not Chinese. So um, I think that goes to show maybe as well that that deep connection, um, not that it counts for more, but it's, um, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's vitally important, probably just as much as things like, um, you know, ethnic uh, Diversity. Yeah, it's, it's a warning. It's a warning against superficial politics. Absolutely. Yeah, it's exactly. It's a warning that, that you know when when we're having these conversations about diversity and increasing the diversity of candidates and representatives um, and, and and members in in our major political parties that it's not superficial kind of big man big woman politics but it's actually people who have established relationships in the community mm-hmm. um, and people who actually get off their backsides and, and are effective. Um, effective members um, for their community because I think you're right that the, the, it's it's pretty clear now the Chinese community shifted um, strongly away from the Liberal Party. It's clear that that's what helped us get Parramatta over the line um, even though, you know, it wasn't a, a, a diverse candidate there, a very white, probably the whitest candidate uh, to run over the whole uh, of the parliament. Uh, um, and yeah, and Gladys Liu lost um, because she clearly, you know, and there's, there's been a lot, a lot of chatter around that she wasn't a very effective member of the parliament um, and she got the boot. So I think um, you're right. So when we are having these discussions and when the party's talking about the reform they might do to improve diversity in, in, their, in their ranks of candidates, that it has to be not just the, the tokenistic politics or superficial yep. politics, it actually has to be people who are going to do good things. I mean, that comes back to basics for us, really, doesn't it, Matt? Which is, it, it's yeah. one thing to say that we want uh, a diverse party. That doesn't mean we're just saying, look, oh, look, if you just happen to be from a diverse background, you've got a meal ticket for the rest of your life. Like, uh, if anything's been borne out by those defeats there, by by the uh, by those liberal candidates of a uh, Chinese background um, losing, it just shows that, like, it's not enough. You need to actually also have parties that, uh, yeah, um, yes, diverse true but we want want to have parties that actually represent the interests of those communities and and are actually um you know what the what the platform is what the position is of those parties here i think is born out there uh and that's you know it's yeah it's a nice little reminder there um i mean what we'd like to see in new south wales for example like when we talk about a broad democratic and diverse party that's that's what we're talking about is is you can't just fix tinker with one thing you've got to do the whole lot or as someone once said to me they need to burn down that branch and rebuild it again um really <laughs> but that's that's my take because I get, keep getting frustrated by as much as I love going to the coast, uh, getting frustrated about you know being dragged out to the south coast every every you know couple of years as a state or federal election uh, because they just don't have human beings or seeing people to the west of us in um, regional New South Wales seats where you're going why aren't we even running anyone or even if they are they've got no no resources no backing it's not serious yeah mm. um oh look. Yeah. One of those said about the teal stuff, like Pogos stuff. I think you're right, Matt. Um, yeah, it was actually a really old school campaign. We've got this, you know, candidate with profile and there was a sense of momentum. And yeah, they did 
borrow some from some community, but it's not the type of organising that that we've done or experienced in recent years, and that could become a problem if uh, in in the, in the longer term, if Pocock wants to hang around for longer, um, you know that's that's going to be their problem. Will be how deeply they're going to um, get the roots into the local community. They want to keep turning out for him. It's just going to yeah, be- and possibly a recruitment opportunity for the Labor Party. But um, yeah, yeah, I think I think you know, I think uh, as you said, uh, Jacob in Chisholm it was a fantastic victory, uh, and kudos to to Grace and, and to Karina Garland and, and everyone who ran uh, that campaign. That's a yeah, that that's the kind of modern. Um, style labor campaign that that is you know an effect marginal seat campaign that has an effective air war um, and an effective ground game um i guess what um the 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 green campaign uh and look certainly that modern style of campaigning is is what we fought for to try and get um going in the act in preparation for the 2016 um territory election and and beyond but um i think the, the 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 next phase i guess or or what what the greens have shown in, in brisbane is that um that the community organizing model of deep consistent community um work um, building strong deep relationships over the course of a number of years taking in you know this, this took the greens at least six to eight between six to eight years to to build this and you know they were the beneficiaries of some demographic changes but i think that's the the next kind of fight we need to have in terms of of, of our way of doing politics in in the party um and certainly that was where um the act branch was heading you know building the the, the, the internal um organizing platform collaborate uh holding those member organized um policy and training day is about building a culture of self-confidence, self-sufficiency, uh, initiative, um, and looking outwards uh, instead of inwards, uh, that I think is, is going to be fundamental for the long-term success of the party. Um, we have to keep recruiting members, but we also have to empower them and turn them into um, kind of community actors. Um, if we don't do that, then I think we are susceptible. That's where I think we're exposed um, to you know the, the things that we've seen in Brisbane. Like the Labor Party, you know, from what I understand, from a branch and, and, and activist point of view, is quite healthy in Brisbane. Um, they've, they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of members there. Um, but clearly the culture of the party is, doesn't encourage or facilitate, um, or, um, kind of allow for, um, that, you know, green, the way that kind of community organizing in the way the Greens have done. Now, you know, being a party of government is different to being a party that that just um, is seen as a bit, you know, on the fringes and and the little, you know, um, the the one that's going to fight for every seat. But I don't think that's a, that's um, enough of a reason to to remain insular uh, and guarded uh, and, and 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 conservative on on that on that issue. I think we have to go deep and we have to go local. Yeah, I wonder also about um, like the like Ben, you you already mentioned um, age demographics in in, in party membership. Um, yep. You know, I think if you looked at um, the the sort of young people up in Brisbane who are doing that organising for the Greens, I'd say yeah, they'd skew pretty young, maybe not insanely so, but um, probably of um, approximately graduate school age, um, something like that. Um, and that's 
great for them because they, that um, demographic really represents their constituency um, in terms of um, professional intellectuals as well as um, you know young people um, and, and some people working in uh, the sectors of, of you know the non knowledge economy that that do work in um, urban areas. Um, whereas if you look at the youth wing of the Labour Party, you know I think you'd be pretty hard pressed to find anyone that isn't. Um, you know, in the middle of a degree in one of maybe a half a dozen subjects. Um, it's in terms of, um, you know, tr life trajectory, uh, not a very diverse kind of uh, bunch and not one that necessarily represents the, you know, core, what's supposed to be the core constituency of the Labour Party and it's, um, it's, you know, the, the people that it's trying to represent. So, um, I think there's probably a bit more that could be, that could be done to, um, diversify um, youth participation in the Labour Party, um, so that we can make sure the next generation of activists in our party are not, um, you know, so confined to a particular section of, of society and only high, only kind of people going into secondary, uh, tertiary education and only people who yeah. are kind of, you know, pursuing, um, you know, professions. Many more activism, yeah. less, less cocktail parties, man. Like that's that's it's just I mean, you know I just think of the local labour left and I just 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 cry at times compared to what you know the old man's like, oh it was so good what I was going like but the fact was back in the day there were there were young members of you know the labour left and all that used to campaign on things and actually go and do stuff as opposed to when's the next drinks with Tanya Plibersek I mean that's that's pretty much you know I think that's just a local example of like yes you know they'll come out and do the door knocking and phone call stuff great you know they've picked that up. Um, but uh, you know, we they need the party generally needs to um, find things and, and have a culture of campaigning. Um, I, I think it's bigger than that. Like I think I think it's it's I think it's it's a bit harsh to just blame young members. Oh, I'm not, I'm not. For, I'm, I'm for not, not doing it. Like I, I think it's yeah. it's. I think no, I'll say to Ben's point. Um, oh, sorry. Like you know, this is the culture of the party they've walked into. Yeah. You know, and uh, it takes a lot of time to change that. Um, and you know. Even as as being um you know senior official in the branch trying to change that culture, um, it it was very slow going because there is a a a significant number of uh, portion of the membership you know across the factions who don't think that that style of politics is is serious um, or worthwhile that it's you know it's that, that for them their theory of change is is heavily based on. You know the old school kind of the parliamentarian knows best. Um, the union leader is the person who goes and negotiates with the parliamentarian, um, and you know case or um, and that's how things work. But um, clearly, that's not um, viable. I don't think like there's obviously always going to be a role for that, but the kind of you know clinking the motion into the machine, which goes up to the next level. Which then gets fed up to the next level, and then you know magically it's going to be implemented by a, a parliamentary Labor Party. It's just a crap. Um, you know, it's going to require uh, campaigning and, and effort, um, and it's going to require I think us getting out into the community um, and building relationships. Like I think that is the recipe for sustained long-term success. Now, um, you know, rambling a little bit, but I think you know I think that there is going to be a move for uh, campaign finance and disclosure reform in the federal parliament. Right, the last. The last jurisdiction of in Tasmania that that hasn't had you know serious um, reform in that area, which could mean that big money politics is, is going to be um, harder to do. So those who invest now in in, in organising long term 
grassroots community organising, I think will reap the rewards of a new, a newly constituted political, you know, way of doing a, a process. Mm. Um, so yeah, but I think that that relies on all of us now to encourage that uh, and not and not look at people and go, um, you know, don't do this wrong. It's like, how about you do this instead? Or, you know, I think that's that's the way we're going to encourage people to, to change their. I just set you up to sound great there, mate. No worries, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Old man troll will go back to his cave, no? (laughs) Yes, old Ben yells at clouds, as always. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. Um, Look, fellas, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you'd like to um, to touch on before we wrap up? I think I think just that there's in the you know in the next uh, year or so the the big the big um, kind of rallying point for socialists I think is going to be the Uluru statement. Um, and getting the, the, the voice, um, the constitutionally recognized voice referendum, um, up. Uh, I think that, um, you know, is, is fundamental to the success of, of this parliament. Um, I think if, if that campaign can be, um, run successfully and, and if that voice can be implemented, um, through, you know, via the constitution, then, um, I think that sets, the tone for um, moving on from the last, you know, uh, you know, I think I think politics has been defined by how effectively this last kind of from '96 until now, um, the last 16 years have been defined by Howard's politics. Uh, and I think um, if we can um, establish and implement the, the the voice to Parliament via the Constitution and then move on with the Macarado Commission, and that then that will help. I think completely change the the, the way. Um, Australia views its politics and, and, and views itself and socialists have to be absolutely involved in that. Uh, taking a step down at that level, I think from a practical point of view, um, there, I think that is the place where activists, um, socialist activists within Labor, the Greens, the extra, you know, the non-parliamentary, um, non-party socialists need to come together and, and, and find common ground and work towards that goal. I think that is an opportunity to build long-lasting relationships and establish some some real ties um, um, that we haven't had an opportunity to do before um, because the parliament has been the defining kind of um, institution in which to to define one's one's um, social politics. You know, you're out, you your shit, no, your shit. Yeah. Whereas I think everyone pushing in the same direction to get this up um, could could open up that that space. I'm just like, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I totally agree that in general, you know, solidarity is built through experience of, of struggle. And um, so not just um, the statement from the heart, that's like um, the, the big one, probably the most urgent one. And it seems to be the one right at the top of um, Anthony Albanese's mind in terms of his priorities for this government, which is really good. Um, but yeah, no, I think um, there might be lots of other opportunities as well. I think um, uh, the... Like universal childcare um, is a really um, heartening one. I'm I'm really really happy to see the the PLP taking um, a universal um, social welfare policy um, into this parliament. Um, fingers crossed that the days of means testing in general for these kinds of um, essential services are gone. Um, and uh, I think making sure that that's the case is a a great place where people from the Greens and the, and the Labor Party can come together um, and we'll, we'll have heaps of common ground on. Um, and then another thing that I think, um, as I've mentioned a couple times already, um, you can tell I'm excited about it, but um, is the, yeah, this 
proposal coming for the Greens, I really hope that they, on, on um, getting dental into Medicare, I really hope that they um, are able to, if they've got a bit of leverage, um, either in the either either in the upper house or lower house, um, put it to the Labor Party and say this is a um, condition for uh, support on one thing or another, um, and that that is able to be something. I reckon to. that's this is I reckon the campaign for that starts now and is mm. a second term agenda. Yeah. Okay. Genuinely, yeah. because I just don't think I think. Only those of us who follow politics super closely, mm. unless you're in a, a green target, would know that they want that. Um, and I think the fight to get that happen will be massive because mm. the dentists will be, you know, mm. organised with their millions of dollars. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah. I think, but I think, I think it's a, a five-year strategy. Yeah, and it can't, it can't occur without um, labour activists being fully behind it and involved as well. Um, yeah. That's essential, yeah. and it's essential for um, the Greens activists to get sure they they get to take credit for um, you know um, being having the first um, person elected to Parliament on that as a platform, but um, they'll have to you know have at least the humility to recognise that they can't get it done on their own. Um, yeah. yeah, so those are a couple of things that I think, um, and then another thing uh, maybe just as a final thought um, is that that last um, I know that it, it remains the case that um, Labor's um, sort of positions on um, on uh, refugees and, and, and sort of um, maritime immigration remain um, completely abhorrent to obviously members of the Greens, but also many members of the Labor Party itself and many Labor voters um, and yeah. other voters. And all the Teals, all the Teals yeah. oppose mandatory detention. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, yeah. 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 Um, what we saw on the, the, the day of the election was, of course, this very grubby um, attempt to sort of um, use a, a maritime arrival to, to drum up a bit of last-minute um, fear and um, support for the, for the coalition, um, which obviously did not um, work. But um, I don't know if you guys saw, but um, Karen Middleton, the, the Schwartz media journalist, went on the ABC um, just after that happened and gave what looked like a quite last-minute impromptu interview um, to the anchors at the desk on, you know, on the news channel, which is not something that you see. It looked quite odd. Um, basically saying, um, look, I can't, um, I haven't been able to substantiate this and we'll make that clear. But, um, you know, some weeks ago, I got a call from someone that I know in Sri Lanka saying that they had witnessed Sri Lankan police loading people onto a boat, um, that the Sri Lankan authorities had, um, had actually orchestrated this at the behest of the Australian government, um, as an election stunt. And uh, so what I'm really hoping that we'll see is uh, a, a really strong um, ICAC established uh, in this term and that that's one of the issues that it looks into, uh, or that those allegations, um, uh, because um, it's something that, that I find quite difficult to um, even believe, let alone, um, you know, stomach. It's um, one of the most despicable things I've ever heard. And uh, like, uh, If I, it's I, true, it's explosive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if it's, it's true, true, it's explosive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, just, just to wrap it up there, I think following on from that, Witness K uh, and Bernard Colleary, they, the charges need to be dropped. They're meant to be going to court soon again, like it's crazy. So hopefully we'll see some sanity from our government and to um, stop pursuing those um, two human beings, particularly Witness K, who um, has gone through hell and all he's, all the, all that um, person's done is actually reported on, um, you know, the horrible things that our, our military were, were carrying out. Uh, so, you know, um, more greater protection for whistleblowers and actually stop persecuting people who have just pointed out wrong things that our governments have done. Um, also, just the, the, I mean, the whole thing with East Timor and, and, and the likes, it's just shocking stuff mm. the way you know, 
the Downer government. I mean, there's been a protection racket for a long, for a long time. So hopefully we're going to see the end of that with maybe an ICAC. But the government, new government right now could end that persecution right now. Along with, um, I'm hoping that um, Albo had a chat with um, Uncle Joe and um, said, you know, why don't you just leave Assange alone? Thanks very much. That that would be great. Um, but this sort of ends with my, my last point. It was like, uh, all the positive stuff is is great and wonderful. Uh, it's a really good time to be in the left because there's an opportunity there in the federal parliament on the one hand for the policies that will be pursued. But to pressure um, Labor inside and out is, is where it's at right now. So all power to people in the Greens who are going to be pushing their things and the like. And and for people thinking of being coming involved in Labor, like right now is a really good time. It is actually really the best time. On this idea that you get involved in an election every three years, um, don't do that. You're wasting your time. Really, the best way is actually being involved in helping shape what the policies and um, what legal, you know, the laws are going to be, as well as linking up with activists who are doing things in workplaces and workplace power. Last thing I want to end on is I really want to see the Fair Work Act ripped up and us given something better. But look, I guess right now we're just got to, you know, start asking the questions uh, to our union uh, officials and leaders as to what are they going to yes. do to actually deliver our fair industrial relations system. Uh, because it's not going to come by just, you know, wishful thinking. So Yeah, I don't uh, know if you saw, but I actually tweeted something about that uh, the other day, um, about what the ACTU and Sally McManus are going to um, do to put pressure on the new Labor government to, to address this. Well, I got, got an email. Uh, Godfrey, Godfrey Mose, here. who's one of the directors of um, the United Workers Union, uh, replied to me, Rather cryptically, saying, um, "I've got an idea. Oh, I've, I've got an idea about this. Um, watch this space." So, uh, I don't know what God, Godfrey's got in his mind, but uh, <laughs> yeah, he's thinking about it too, which is good. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll well, see. We, there's coordinated industrial action <laughs> in the university sector going on right now. Like it's, it's there's industrial you know, chaos happening at the unis, and, and that's another thing that the government really needs to quickly look into too. So a big hello to the NTU um, administrative and, and academic staff who are taking um, industrial action around the country. Um, but that's just another little example of, of things that we need. You know, so we lost more jobs in the during the pandemic um, than the entire workforce in coal in Australia. Um, seven and a half thousand jobs. It's just a crude estimate, but many, many more than that. So there's lots of things for the new government to get into. And I guess the point is, if you're not active involved, well, things are just going to be at the bottom of the list and I get looked at. And that's, you know, I, being someone who lived for the, the Rudd Gillard years, um, it is really easy to be disappointed if you're not active, um, because that was something that, that was missing in 2007. It was, uh, she'll be right. And then we were well and truly. Uh, yeah, left to the right. Yeah, well, I, I would encourage everyone to to go back now. We've got a bit of time. Campaigning's over. Um, there's a bit of flux until the new government's morning. Just to go and read the speeches and comments uh, that that the Prime Minister Albanese has made, and start thinking about how you could use some of that language and some of those commitments in order to help move space, create space for um, more left wing. Um, changes to be um, brought onto the agenda. You know, he's spoken a lot about universal services. Um, you know, no one held back, no, no one left behind, no one held back, or as I like to say, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of things that he has put down some markers on that I think provide us with more opportunity to have some um, 
interesting discussions and run some interesting campaigns to try and open up space for for real progressive reform over the next few years. But uh, I'll just caution that we're not going to get anything done in a couple. <laughs> it's going to take mm. time. That's right. Yep. Yeah, this is a multi-term um, yeah. project for sure. Yeah, okay. that's right. Uh, thanks so much, Matt, for, for being with us. Um, this has been so great to unpack the yeah, uh, yeah implications and meanings and um, uh, everything of the election uh, with you. So um, hopefully we'll have you back real soon. Uh, but yeah, that's all we got for you folks. Um, so, so long from me and Ben, uh, and we'll uh, be back with you soon on Dole Capital. Thanks, guys. See ya.